Some of you are wondering why Layden's uh, on a stool back here. Um, he's under church discipline right now. So he did something dumb, but not really dumb. So he's still on stage. Um, actually, he's recovering from knee surgery. So, um, yeah, Layden. Um, I'm, I'm Pastor Corey, by the way. If it's uh, if you're new to church and you haven't met us, we'd love to meet you. My lovely wife, Pastor Aaron. And the... Just as an experiment. So I'm Pastor Corey. And this is Pastor Aaron. Hurtful. Whatever. So that's Pastor Aaron, and I'm Pastor Corey. Okay, yeah, we did it. Okay, no, you didn't mean it. Um, We also have Pizza with Pastors. We would love to get you signed up at the seven-minute party out there. If you've never come to Pizza with Pastors, that's what we'd love for you to do. And come and hear how the church started, and uh, let's help you find your place uh, in this great family of God. Uh, There's so many magical things that don't happen um, if you don't get involved. And so that's just kind of, um, just it's also good to kind of get context for why the church looks the way that it does. So it's going to be great. So, all right, I'm in a, um, a money series right now. Yes, our church talks about money. Money is very important. There's actually, um, the Bible talks about money more than it talks about just about any other thing because um, money is supposed to be a tool. It's not supposed to be emotional, but it builds very emotional things. And the word of God also says where your treasure goes, there your heart also goes. So there's this thing of like, actually, my heart is controlled by where I spend money. And so God is like, hey, I want to help you, children of mine. This is what God is saying. I want to help you understand. So as I preach about money, I talk, I don't, I don't get weird in church about money. Some people do. Uh, my dad wasn't weird about it. He just told me how it worked. And, uh, and I tell it. I, so when I'm preaching, I'm preaching like I'm preaching to one of my kids. So I don't have to like explain a whole bunch of things to them. I'm like, look, do this and it will work out. Don't do this or do what these people do. It's not going to work out. So I'm just uh, treating you like family today. Are you okay with, with us just doing that today? So now this is a farmer sermon. So farmers, do we have any farmers in the house? Like, do we still have farmers? Okay. Like you're going to get this. There's one farmer here. That's makes me really sad. The rest of you were like food comes from grocery stores, right? So, um, this is a farmer sermon. So you're going to get it, and everybody else is going to have to work at it a little bit. Um, Now, if the farmer waits until he feels safe to sow seed, (laughs) I don't know if you know this about farming, but the only thing that determines the harvest is whether the farmer sows seed. How the farmer feels does not determine his harvest. How or her. I got you his or her harvest, how the farmer feels about it. The farmer's need does not determine the farmer's harvest, only the farmer's seed. Now, um, today, uh, you're going to be a corn farmer today. Uh, my sermon is called popcorn, the popcorn effect. And, um, you're going to be a corn farmer, but tell you what, if the corn farmer doesn't put any seed in the ground, then come harvest time, he's going to feel really unsafe, but it does feel a little bit unsafe to sow the seed at the time. So that's why I talked about budget last week. Cause I'm like put, and today I'm specifically talking about a word called the tithe, the 10th, giving 10% back to God through the local church, God's house and God's family. So that's why I talked about budget. Cause I'm like, the first thing in our budget is a line item called the 10th or 10%. Now God gave us 10% because he knew that you weren't good at math. And if it was 8% or 12%, you'd be all a wreck and you'd never 
be able to figure this out. So he's like, just move the decimal point, guys. Anybody can do it. And so, so when he's doing this, but the farmer, here's the thing about sowing seed with God is that you can feel unsafe while you sow it and still reap a harvest. You can be afraid when you sow it. You can be a little mad when you sow it. It doesn't matter what mood you're in. You'll be glad when harvest comes because you actually sowed the seed. The only thing that determines the harvest is the seed that is sown. And so you get it. Okay. Um, and most of us, I don't think, are trying to shortchange God. I just don't think we've been taught about it or challenged about it yet. And so, or we haven't budgeted so that we can see that it's already in there. You know, God never asks you to sow seed that somebody else has, by the way. He's like, sow the seed that you have already. Uh, also that he already gave you. Now, Jesus speaks um, and he says, give and you will receive. So I think if we trusted God, we could probably just stop there and be like, okay. But he knows you. And he goes, okay, let me tell you what happens with the gift. It's magic. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down. So pressed down means um, at Christmas when you take the recycle out. And you put one of your kids in there in the recycle bin. And you're like, jump on that recycling. Get that cardboard down there. That's what press down means. Like we need, we got three bins and we got one bin. So get it in there. Don't come back inside. You get, don't get to play with your toys until you jump that recycling down. Press down, shaking together to make room for more. This is when you go to the candy store. Are you guys fasting candy? Sorry. But after, when the fast is over that Monday, Monday morning, 9 a.m., the candy store opens. You go and you buy like a bin of candy and it's like whatever you can get in there. This is what God wants to do for you. Like jam it in there, man. Take a masher with you. Get it in there. Eat a lump of candy. That's pressed down, shaking together to make room for more, running over and pour it into your lap. Okay. Why is Jesus talking like this? The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. He's like, okay. He's talking to a farming community. He's like, he, they get it. You don't really get it. Um, so this is... Um, this is the nearest way that I can explain this is with a story uh, from the Edwards family who um, helped us build venue church here. Um, they came kind of in the early days and they were a great uh, part of our church here. They've moved to Saskatchewan in the last few months and betrayed us all. And, uh, you know, moving to Saskatchewan, I don't know how I would describe that. If you've come from there, you're like the promised land. Like you get it, right? But moving to Saskatchewan was like selling your soul to the devil and forgetting to ask for anything. Um, Alberta. Do we have any Manchester United fans? Like, you get it. Um, so on their first date, back in the day. Now, if you've been to a movie with Aaron Edwards, he always buys the big popcorn and the big pop. Right. That's his thing. Like even when he was eating healthy, he would still go and buy the big, that's his jam. So his first date, it's before the movie starts. He gets, he gets Karen. So Aaron is kind of a big guy, kind of like myself. And, and Karen though is like this, like she's like little, right? So she's like super little. She's, and if I can describe her, her arms and hands nicely, it's like a T-Rex. She's just got these like tiny little so she's super skinny and super little, right? And her hands have no strength. And so she tried, she tried to grab with one hand the biggest pop that you can buy at the theater and dump the whole thing in, in Edward's lap. And he had to sit there the rest of the entire movie on the first date with his underpants soaking. Jesus is like, listen, 
Dad wants to give you so much that you don't know what to do with it and it's going to end up in your lap unless you give it away. That's what dad is planning for you. So stop being all weird because your dad was weird or selfish or didn't have any resources or didn't bless you with it. He's like, stop it. This is what my father is going to do and he's never broken his promise. Thank you, Sean. Um, You know, my daughter, Katie, she has uh, some goals uh, to... Uh, Arwen saved up enough cash uh, out of high school. We didn't give her any of it. She worked for it. Where are my millennials at? No, I'm just kidding. She worked for it, earned it on her own, and um, and then she bought a car with cash And so, um, out of high school. And Katie's like, I want to do that, but then I want to go right into um, ultrasound tech. She goes, that she wants to go to schooling for that. She's like, that's my goal. But the trouble is, when we go on vacation in the summer, I tell the kids, I'm like, look, we can go to Idaho, and I'll pay for it all. Um, or if you want to go to Mexico, then you can buy a plane ticket and maybe a little more. If my kids are working, you know, I'm like, put skin in the game. I'm going to teach you how to invest. Like you can go to, so we might go to, to Florida this year. So I'm like, okay, but it's going to take some skin in the game if you want to go there, or we can go to Idaho or whatever, you know? And so we, our family wants to go to Florida and Katie's worried because she's like, these are my goals. But if this takes a little bit of resource and uh, then she, she didn't have the guts to tell me that. So she told Arwen, if you got girls, like... So Arwen comes to me, she's like, Katie's really worried about this. And I'm like, God, are you kidding me? You got to understand dads. I don't mean you might have not had a good dad. You got to understand good fathers. I'm a good, good father. It's who I am. It's who I am. I called Katie up and I'm like, hey, stop it. Stop it. I'm going to take care of you. Like, this is me that you're talking to. I have resources. I have friends that have resources. I have contacts you'll never have. I can bless you. I can guarantee it. I will see that God does everything in your life that he's planning on doing. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to take care of it. So, um, but you got to understand something about God, your heavenly father. So the Holy Spirit is kind of the mom of the Trinity. So the Holy Spirit is like encouraging, like, hey, you can do it. Hey, you're a horrible screw up, but you know, it's okay. It's always like, you know, moms love you no matter what you do. Like you can do anything and mom's going to love you. Dad's a little bit different. And I'm the fun dad. We got any fun dads in the house? I love being the fun dad. So Pastor Aaron, when she makes popcorn, she makes, she'll take a cup of popcorn, which is like this, like a cup of popcorn. You can actually measure it. And we got one of those things where you pour the oil in and then it starts like coming up and you got to like turn the thing. Right? So Pastor Aaron makes enough popcorn for that thing. But when I make popcorn, I put the cup in and then I'm like, ah. and I go back in and I'm like, Let's. I'm like, that's not enough. Every time I've ever made popcorn, it is pressed down, shaken together. It comes out of the top of it. I take it over to the counter. I've got the bowls already. And I'm like, it's coming off the top. I lift the lid. Sometimes the lid comes off. There's popcorn everywhere. Every single time you got to dig it out with a knife. I already have the knife on the counter because I know what I'm going to do. And every single time I'm like, it's not enough popcorn. We have to have the neighbors over because I make too much popcorn. Then I'll do it again. And I'll do it exactly the same way. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together so much. It ends up in your lap and all over the kitchen. You got to invite some people to help you eat it. So now I want your life so filled with popcorn stories that I'm not going to withhold the word of God to you to show you how that actually works and how God wants you to invest. Seven years ago, we started Venue Church. And what God has done in this amount of time has been incredible. We are so grateful that we get to be a part of it. But let me tell you some of the seed that was sown to get here. So uh, Pastor Aaron and I, we didn't have a house here yet. And so we had to come here a few months early, started getting set up. 
and, uh, and, and I was looking for a building for the house of God. And I looked and I looked and I went to Birch Church Theater finally. And I'm like, that's the best building in town. I want that building for church. And the manager, the acting manager at the time told me, don't even ask for it. Like you can rent it once or maybe twice, but you will never get, this is what he said, a recurring booking of this for church. Like ever. Don't ask for it. And I don't know what kind of personality you have, but if you say don't, that's the only thing that I want. (laughs) And I went to God and I'm like, I want that building. It's the best building in town. I want the best building in town to be able to rent. This is now the best church building in town. I want the best building for your kids in this town. I want the best for you. And I'm like, give me the best building, Lord. A couple days later, he calls me up. The manager, his supervisor talked to him and said, why are you not renting that building out? Find somebody. So he calls me up and says, what do you want? And I get that. So that's where Venue Church started. Was this like, because God wanted it, pressed down, shake it together and running over. Now, um, so we came to Birch's Theater. I had about a half an hour that I sit, need to sit down with that crew, with the manager and like hammer the details out to secure a house for God. We didn't have a house yet. So I asked, and Pastor Aaron, well, she's hosting after, she'll probably tell you about this, but I asked Pastor Aaron, because we needed a house. We looked at seven different houses in the area that we, we lived in, we felt God wanted us to be in. Seven houses, none of them were right. And this is like a church planting days. We were so busy, and it was so crazy. Our family was a bit of a disaster, and so it was hard times. Like a church plant is like starting a business up when the devil's trying to murder you. So it's so hard. Everything is so hard. And so I'm like... Every house, I'd have to do the basement, build a bathroom. I'd have to build an office. I'd have to do, and I didn't, I didn't have any bandwidth for anything but just trying to plant a church, right? And so, so I told Pastor Aaron, I'm like, well, go back to those seven houses that we looked at in the area of town we live in. Go back there. We live in Cooper's, by the way, which has been voted uh, for 15 consecutive years the best community in Airdrie by the inhabitants of Cooper's. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, recently voted. I'm like, it's Cooper's that are voting. That's... It's a Cooper's vote. So anyways, so I said, here, go buy. I just felt in my spirit, go buy 10, $10 gift cards from Starbucks and go to the, to the neighbors of the houses that we looked at and ask if anybody sells crack in the neighborhood. You know, like you think I'm kidding. I'm like, ask if there's drug dealers next door. Ask. I want to know. Cause the people selling you the house is going to be like, there's no drug dealers next door. You know, like, or whatever. Are there barking dogs? Is there weird people? You know, like. And so I'm like, go give it to the neighbors. And she, she, okay, she'll tell you. She threw a little hissy fit. She was in a super bad mood. Like, I don't want to do this. Like, you do that. You want to talk to people. I don't want to talk to people. She was all mad at me. And I'm like, I have to go to Bird Church Theater and secure a house for God. Can you please go see if you can find us a house? So she took the kids, went. I got a phone call about 20 or 30 minutes later. I think I found our house. It's a popcorn story, let me tell you. She goes to the house across the street from where we currently live. She goes there and sees the lady who owns our house. Was it the first place you went to, sweetheart? The first place. The lady who lives, who, who's in our house outside on the yard, she goes over there and says to her, and this lady, you got to understand that she's the fussiest lady in Airdrie. She just painted her entire house. She doesn't need to. She lives there by herself, I think. Maybe with one of her. I'm like, she painted her entire, she did the yard. She manicured the yard three different times just to get it right. If a leaf falls in the yard, she's out there. If the snow falls, she's out there. I'm like, this is the person you buy a vehicle from, a house from. She's out there. And 
Pastor Aaron goes like, hey, we're looking at this house, buying this house across the street. Uh, can you tell us anything about the neighborhood? And then she's like, well, we have four kids. And she goes, oh, that house is way too small for you. Why don't you buy my house? Wow. Walks through the house. Got all the right bedrooms, got all the right rooms. Everything is absolutely right, exactly where we wanted to be in town, the best place in town that our family could be. And she calls me up and says, I think I found our house. So there's a couple things I want to bring out there. $10 Starbucks gift cards saved us $30,000 in that house that wasn't on the market. That had been previously listed way higher than the price we ended up settling on. $30,000, $10 Starbucks gift card. Reluctant, angry, obedient wife. (laughs) But I had secured God's house first. Then God could do for my house what I needed to show God that I would do for his house. Because his house was always more important to our family than our house was. It still is. God's like, you take care of my house, I'll take care of your house. And Pastor Aaron and I had been tithing for years and years and years, our entire marriage, in fact. So it gave God something to work with. So if you've never been to church, giving 10% of your income back to the Lord, you've tried other investments. And what the Lord, I'm going to show you his promises. You're going to be like, oh, I had no idea that this was actually available. Unchurched people are the easiest people to talk into tithing because they're like, oh, we can't do this anywhere in the world. Like, this is incredible. Um, if you've never been to a Bible preaching church, I would say, or a church that was afraid to talk about finances, um, I don't want you to get mad at the pastor that you grew up with and call him up and be like, why didn't you tell us? You know, we haven't been living in the blessing that God planned for us because you didn't say anything, you know, so don't get mad. Um, some people, I think we come to church and we kind of like tip God a little bit. And so um, God's like, no, actually, I want you to buy some food. You know, I want you to buy the, because there's, there's the magic is really in the, in the provision that God wants to do. Or maybe if you haven't been to church in a while, you stopped along the way. So I, I tell my volunteer teams, I'm like, if people come and you haven't been to church in a long time, I'm like, the thing that is probably keeping them away from church is the story that they told themselves about why they stopped giving resources away. Because that money, their heart no longer goes there, so their heart is not in the house of God. And so today's sermon is going to unwind some of that story. So it's going to be like a little bit painful, but you're going to breathe a sigh of relief. Because I'm just going to be a good dad and just tell you how it works. And be like, okay. Okay, so just um, trust me a little bit with this. But, um, but you have to understand that the day that you stop sowing is the day that a poverty cycle began. Remember the prodigal son? He leaves the father's house. He cashes in his inheritance. He was fed for a little while. So if you leave church, you'll be okay for a little while. But then when you run out, you've actually been eating the seed. You've been eating the seed that was supposed to bring the harvest. You haven't been eating the harvest. You've been eating the seed because the seed is sown in the father's field. And so then you end up living with pigs and all the things that happen there. And so if you're coming back to God's house, welcome back. Let's get involved. Let's give our resources back to the Lord. Now, um... This is talking just about the first 10th. What we do as a church, what we do as a family is um, like we uh, just Dustin and Janine are going to El Salvador with my kids. A couple of my kids are going. Some of you are going to El Salvador to build houses. So above and beyond 10%, the church also gives towards that as well, by the way. But um, I think we've got two houses already. Um, But uh, like this year. Um, But also above and beyond that, we would feed the poor. But also when we go overseas, we teach tithing to the third world. Because the only thing that can jack... Jack them out of 
a poverty cycle is to get them into God's economy out of their corrupt governments and their lack of all these things. The only thing that can get them out is for them to, with the tithe, bring them up into God's economy. The Bible says Isaac stayed in the land of famine. Everyone else fled. He stayed in the land of famine, sowed in the land of famine, and reaped 100x on his investment. Not percent, 100x on his investment, which would have been an incredible harvest in a land of plenty in the land of famine. Because the economy of the world, the economy of the city, the economy of the country has nothing to do with the economy of a son or daughter of God. You are in a different economy if you place the first tenth in God's hands. And God also promises, I will give you 30x, 60x, or 100x. That is the principle of giving. So like the very least that comes back to you, shaken together, is 30 times what you put into it. The very least... 60 and 100. So here's some myths to debunk. You ready? God doesn't need my money. True. Actually, it's not really a myth. True. Um, he doesn't. Um, he has no physical needs. He has no emotional needs. He doesn't need to get healed of anything. He doesn't need you. Um, I think sometimes we think of God like he's the big monkey in Jungle Book that all the little monkeys got to run all the bananas to. You know what I'm saying? Like he's the big monkey just in there eating all the bananas. And God's like, I don't even eat bananas. Bananas are gross, you know. <laughs> um, but God's family is made up of humans and children. And adoption costs money and building bunk beds costs money. And God's like, my family has got to take care of my family. So if you take care of my family, though, then I'll take care of your family. It's just the easiest thing in the world for him to do. And he's also trying to make you look like Jesus. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave not a tenth of heaven. If you have one son, the prince of heaven, he gave everything. He gave everything that heaven had. He gave the best. He gave all of it. And you got to understand that asking for a tenth back is just trying to get you to look a little more like Jesus when Jesus came and died on a cross for your sins. So, The next uh, myth is church people. Uh, it's only a church people myth. Um, are you saying... I hear this. Are you saying if a Christ follower doesn't tithe that God doesn't love us? Um, no. <laughs> Take some of the words out of there. Are you saying that if I don't give, God doesn't love me? Are you saying that God doesn't love? God is love. What I'm saying you're doing is you're projecting your problem on God. Because God so loved, he gave. But if you don't love, you won't give. A deadbeat dad is like, I love my kids so much, but doesn't pay for them to eat. No, you don't. It's called projecting your... The problem is not with God's love. The problem is with your love. And you need to look a lot more like your father in heaven. Here's another myth. If I don't obey, it won't affect my relationship with God and people. Um, AKA, if I disobey, I still get all the things. Well, the devil's the only one who wants to do that for you. If you disobey, I'll make you happy for about 10 minutes. So if I disobey God and if I keep what's his and it won't affect my relationship with God or with people, your destiny is to connect somebody with God and somebody, somebody with God and people. That's the only way that, that you connect with God and people is helping somebody else do that. That takes resources to do, um, which God guarantees. But, you know, imagine me offering my daughters, imagine me offering Katie. Here, I'll give you $100. I need to, um, can I, hey, give me $10, $10 of that back so that I can go and feed somebody who's poor. I'll guarantee that investment. I'll give you 30, 60, or 100x on it. I'll fight the devil for you. I'll heal your heart. I'll make sure your relationships work out. I'll make your car not break down. I'll give you deals that nobody else in the world sees. I'll do all of these things. And then Katie goes, nah. That's going to affect our relationship. 
It will. Not because I don't love her, but because she doesn't trust her father. Um, now listen, God loves his smart kids and God loves all his other kids too. Mom and dad still love Ryan. I don't know. Here's one, uh, a guy in the trades world. This is what he said. The church only wants your money. And I'm like, I finally asked, like, have you ever actually been to church? Because I think all that you know about church is what you see on vampire movies and holy water kills vampires. You know, I'm like, we don't even have holy water. So, um, so he, but what he didn't really understand, um, there's a, um, and a study that's been done in major Canadian cities of the, called the halo effect. The halo effect is the greater ripple effect that happens for every dollar donated to a church. For every dollar donated to a church, um, the ripple effect is that it saves the city out of pocket. Are you ready? Here's the study. $4.70 for every dollar. So five to one dollars that is donated to a church saves the city out of pocket because you got to fix broken people and then you got to build prisons for people and then you got to mental health and you got to do all the things that God does in his house for nothing. All we do is administrate that and get it to more people. So, so meaning if you give more to the church, your taxes will go down where the mayor at. But I'm saying, if you won't do it, the city's got to pay for it, and it's never going to be what God could have done. It's the halo effect. And you get a tax receipt for it. Because smart governments, and hopefully ours is still smart enough to like... It's the halo effect. You want the five-to-one investment? Man, the tax receipt's the least that we can do to be like, hey, bless, give more, man. Give more to churches. It blesses the city. Uh, Here's another um, myth, the law of Moses. Oh, Jesus came to do away with it. Um... No, he didn't actually. Jesus came to be the final sacrifice. Jesus said, I, didn't, I never came to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it, the final sacrifice. But uh, tithing didn't start with Moses. Tithing started with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, um, and so it, it didn't even start there. It's addressed there. But um, to think that generosity has gone away because Jesus came to make you greedy is a little bit weird. So, um, and you don't throw the Ten Commandments away, do you? Like, I want to throw tithing away, but you're okay with somebody sleeping with your wife? Oh, I shut you up. Okay. I'm just saying, like, you don't throw away the baby with the bathwater just because like, you don't want to do something. I'm like, no, it's kind of a package deal. Like, this is good for humanity. So here's another myth. The church must be short of money. Um, maybe some churches are. Ours was great before you got here and will be great if you go because you're angry about this sermon. It will be great. We could just adopt a lot more kids. That's it. Um, here's a myth. Jesus never told me to. AKA, if Jesus told me to, I would. Great. Jesus says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you professional Christians, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income of your herb gardens. So like you got a mint plant, and you're like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. One to the Lord. Eleven to the Lord. So he's like, you guys are meticulous at tithing, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, Yes. I don't know if Jesus wants us to tithe. He never said anything. You should tithe, yes. I don't know if that means what you should tithe, yes. I don't really get it. You should tithe! Dang it! I added that. But do not neglect the more important things. So he's saying, like, you're getting all these little fussy stuff, right? Yeah, you should. Obviously, you should. But you're neglecting these things. But then what I hear Christians say is, like, I just care so much about justice that I don't do the little things either. Like when the Ukrainian war broke out and every Canadian posted their outrage against and gave zero dollars. 
you gave $8,000 within like two days, I think, to Ukrainian churches helping refugees. So you could have posted that and been like, hey, we are helping. We don't, we believe in justice. Everybody else who gave nothing, man, you don't talk as cheap. Nobody cares what you think. Ooh. It's just hypocritical. You want to appear just, but you don't want to pay for justice. So, um, oh, that, that was good. That's good preaching. Thanks for preaching challenging sermons. I told somebody, I'm like, I still can't preach a nice one. I've been trying. I haven't really been trying. We're a high challenge, high fun church, by the way, which means like we go to war every Sunday and we love it. There's just something about discomfort that we love and God is blessing us. Malachi is the last prophet to speak before Jesus comes on the scene. The last voice of God we hear in the nation for 400 years. 400 years of radio silence. The main topic of Malachi, the book of Malachi, that God is speaking through the prophet, is tithing, which is coming up right now. So, meaning, the nation, because of their disobedience to the principle of tithing, caused a 400 years of radio silence. That's like going to church 400 years and not hearing God speak. That's boring church. (laughs) 20 generations. I am God. Yes, I am. Now, what's coming next is tithing, which I think this means like, I am God. If you won't give me the 10th, you'll get a God complex. You'll start thinking it's all about you, that you earned your money, that you own your own problems, got to fix them all. You'll start thinking you're God. He goes, I haven't changed. How many church people have I heard like God changed his mind about tithing? I haven't changed. You should tithe. Yes. And because I haven't changed, you descendants of Jacob haven't been destroyed. There's a reason he puts Jacob in here. Because Jacob says, of all that comes into me, Lord, I will give a tenth unto you. That is my covenant for myself and my children coming after me. And God's like, I will use that covenant to bless that nation. Make that man a nation. And because of that, you haven't been destroyed. He says, you have a long history of ignoring my commands. Okay, some of y'all had nice dads. My dad was nice at the right times. But he also spoke the truth. It doesn't say that the nice will set you free. The truth will set you free. My dad was nice, but he spoke the truth. He says, you have a long history of ignoring my commands. You haven't done a thing I've told you. Return to me so I can return to you. You ask, but how do we return? He's like, are you? you, ah." I'm adding this. (laughs) Begin by being honest. What are you talking about? Every person who's dishonest thinks that they're honest, by the way. Do honest people rob God? But you rob me day after day. You ask, how have we robbed you? The tithe and the offering. That's how. Oh, my goodness. The tithe, the tenth, and the other on top. And now you're under a curse, the whole lot of you, because you're robbing me. He's like, you went back to your old dad. I cannot protect you over there. This is my yard. This is my kingdom. You bring it in here, and you get everything. I can't protect you out there. You want to go live with your stepdad? Like, the devil. Do you know who I'm talking about? Are we clear? Bring your full tithe. Not an eighth, not a twelfth, not a tooth. Full tithe, a tenth. That's what the word is translated to the temple treasury. Some people are like, I'm going to start giving. I'm like, well, start. I mean, that's okay, but like, why don't you start with the tenth? 
So, so there will be ample provisions in my temple. There's something about this number. Test me. The only place in scriptures where God says, test me, the only place you're allowed to test God, right. test me and see, like, try it out. Yeah. See if I don't open heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. Vote for Pedro. <laughs> All your wildest dreams will come true. Napoleon Dynamite. That was my high school. If you want to know what my high school looked like, watch that movie. For my part, he says, I'll defend you against marauders, protect your wheat fields and vegetable gardens against plunders. You'll be voted happiest nation. I'm just not happy, Pastor. You should tithe, yes. You'll experience what it's like to be a country of grace. God of the angel army says so. So just put it in your budget like I do. It's the first line item in my budget. Look, I don't complain about the electricity bill like I complain about it, but I pay it because I want the lights to stay on. I pay my tithe because I want my spiritual lights to stay on. Because it connects all the other lights, too. Don't think that the spiritual light can be off and you get everything else. Like, it doesn't work like that. So here's a thought that I have. How could Jesus come to Israel? Because the voice of God had been shut off and Jesus is the word of God. How could Jesus come to Israel? And I think it has to do with him saying, well, you started tithing on your mint plants. Maybe the nation started tithing again and maybe Jesus could come. 20 generations. But I'm not sure. If you're not tithing, I'm not really sure. I think you're hearing some voices. I'm not really sure you're hearing from the Lord, though, particularly the way that you could. Now, here's what I would say. Let me just take all the risk out of it um, so you have no reasons left. If it doesn't work for six month, months, uh, Venue Church will write a check back to you for all of the amount. If you can show our bookkeeper, like, this is the tithe, this is the 10th. Um, my pastor friends say this when we preach it. I have never ever heard any pastor ever writing a check ever because God's not a liar and God has never not done what he said the Dows when they started uh, where the Dows at there's somewhere when the Dows when, when Tyler hey guys I see you guys like 50 times during the sermon I just like everything's a blur when they started tithing Tyler's like two months in he got a huge payout from his company from WestJet huge payout and he's like oh, I get it done like I get it if God doesn't work a miracle that blows your mind, we will write six months. We will write it all back to you. So there's no risk at all. We'll guarantee it. It's a zero risk thing for me because it's like God can't. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's hilarious. Like, yeah, no, I'll totally guarantee God's word. <laughs> now, let's just get practical. If you're salaried like me, I take the biggest number on any paycheck or, you know, the end of the year, the biggest number, I tithe off of that because I don't want untithed money going to the government because I'm unsure how well they're spending it. And I want something sanctified in my nation because I care about it so much. Um, so I tithe on the biggest number. Well, you reap what you sow. And so I want to sow as much as I can to reap as much as I can. Um, so that I have lots to give away. So um, I would ask, what are you living on? You know, when I was in, in getting EI for trade school, I would go to trade school for two months um, of the year in my training. Um, I would tithe on that, on the biggest number on that, before the deductions came off. That's what I would do because that's what I was eating. That's what we were eating as a family. And so tithing on the increase. My kids tithe on birthday money. So I don't know if they have to or not, but they like the harvest. So they're just like, okay. Um, they like popcorn. So um, people tithe on inheritances that they get. Did you increase? Did God bless you? Um, if you tithe like after tax, then when a tax return comes back. But look, if I get a climate check, I've already given that money away. Climate checks to me, I still haven't figured out how that kills global warming. But whatever, I'll take it. But I've already tithed on the money that's gone away. So I can kind of do whatever I want there with that. But 
capital increases, you sell something. Anthony and Candace uh, sold a house and they wrote a great check to the church because um, they remembered, <laughs> they wrote a great check to the church because they took their house and subtracted whatever they owed on that. And that was the capital increase that they gained on that. And so they gave a great check to the church. But I was also there when Anthony, when they bought a bad house in Calgary that was going to cost them piles and piles of money that God also saved them from. And they also got rid of. And God's like, I got you. It's okay. Um, if you have business, let me just be very specific. Business is a little bit different. You have a company. You don't have to tithe on the, on the truck that you bought for the company, direct expense, like gas money in the truck. You don't have to tithe on your employees' salaries. That's their job to tithe on that. So I had a friend of mine, uh, her name was Kathy. She had three businesses, medical clinics, stuff like that. When she first started, she started giving these sums. And I looked at the sums and I'm like, I, I finally asked her after a couple of months, I'm like, are you tithing on every in piece of income that comes in? Or have you subtracted your business, your direct business expense? She goes, I was doing it on all of it. And I'm like, oh, I should have kept my mouth shut. It was so much money. But I'm like, oh, no, no, subtract your business expenses. She goes, it's ironic that God actually took care of us even when I was tithing on way more. She's like, eh, God still took care of us. You know, she just learned a lesson about God's. Um, Dave Ramsey says, let's start with the basics. Simply put, the tithe is the first 10% of your income that should be given to your local church. It's strictly measured in money, so you can't replace it with giving your time or your talents. Um, Charles Spurgeon says, basically... People are like, we're under grace now, so we don't have to give anything. He's like, how much more so under the Christian dispensation? He goes, he goes should we consider the tithes to get the gospel into the world and get people into heaven? He's like, how much more so with the great grace of Christ poured out on us? He said the early Jew gave much closer to it, one-third of their income away. So he's like, come on, guys. Um, all right, come on up, worship team. Can I tell you a story about a... We secured God's house at Vert Church Theater, which is a good home for us for... Three years, was it? Nobody knows? Oh, I forget those days, man. That was a street fight. <laughs> I'm going to tell some early church planting stories sometime. You're going to be like, what? I'm like, you come now. It's so easy for you. You have no idea, man. Mine is 40 million. The locks are frozen and the tires are flat. Oh. Chad's little hands are cold. <laughs> Let me just tell you a story about what God did for a family that became a popcorn family. Seven months in, they came to church. They'd never been to church before. Um, they were entrepreneurs. They owned properties, lands, businesses, all the things. Had done everything in town that you could do that looked successful, but they didn't have Jesus, so they had nothing. And They came looking, and they were like, they found Jesus. The whole family gives their lives to Christ, get baptized. They go through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University and find out about tithing. Then they start tithing. They sold a property in Lethbridge and subtracted the mortgage. And on their capital gains of that, I think, subtract whatever they did there, they, they took on the increase. They, they wrote a check to the local house that brought them to Christ for all of eternity to pay it forward. They brought it to the house. Four days later, they sold another property for, catch this, $100,000 more than they couldn't get and had it listed for the year before. Four days later, $100,000 more because God's like, see? And that's beautiful. And that's just on the natural side of things. That's not really why we tithe. You want to know why we tithe? Because who doesn't get to go to heaven if we don't? 
Put a name and a face on it. You've been praying for somebody for 20 years. Pray, but bring your tithe to the storehouse so the Lord can start rebuking the devourer off of the life of somebody. Who doesn't get to go to heaven if our family didn't tithe and if we didn't take care of God's house? We didn't find him a house here. And the 30 people that came with us are now 800 people on a, on a typical Sunday morning and a lot more that come. And 200 and some baptisms, eternities with Christ. Priceless. Does Scott Waranka get to go to heaven if there's no house of God? Does Renee, does Kaylee and Emerson and Sophia, would we see them in heaven if we had not obeyed the Lord and brought our tithes to the storehouse so that there would be food in God's house?